careful is good. It's Vinny's View on the home of the Suns, Arizona Sports. Presented by Revitalize Weight Loss and Wellness. Eat smart, lose weight, keep it off with Revitalize. Proud nutrition partner of your Phoenix Suns. Tuesday night for most of the game, the Phoenix Suns look like a banged up team that was playing the second game of a back-to-back. To put it into my own narrow terms, using 80s one-hit wonders as a reference point. No winner. No winner. The Suns limped their way to a 17-point deficit to the lowly Washington Wizards, who had been performing more like the Washington Generals during an active 10-game losing streak. Chalk that up to one of those nights again, right? No, not exactly. Over the next 11 minutes and 23 seconds, the Suns outscored the Wizards by 27 points to take a 10-point lead, largely fueled by bench players like Landry Shamit, Bismack Biombo, and Dwayne Washington Jr. Washington came out of the game with 7.32 left, and Chris Paul came back in. Suns still led by 10 with five and a half minutes left. Wizards forward Denny Avdia hit a three-pointer, and Paul went down, grasping his shoulder. Memories of Paul doing the same thing in Game 1 of a 2021 first-round playoff series against the Lakers came to mind. A hush fell over the arena. Paul stayed down on the floor for a couple minutes, then walked to the bench. After the timeout, Paul came back in the game with the Suns still up seven, but the air that was sucked out of the arena never really returned. Mikel Bridges scored on a layup to stretch the lead back to six with 4.22 left, but the Suns would not score again for four minutes and four seconds, and by that time, the Wizards had built a nine-point lead. Free throws, fouls, and three three-pointers by Landry Shamit in the final 19 seconds made it look close, but alas, a three-point loss to the Generals, I mean uh, Wizards, uh, goes in the books. Just a day after Paul was propped as the hero of Monday night's win over the Lakers, we all saw the other side of having a 37-year-old point guard. Sometimes the gas pedal gets stepped on and nothing happens, but the loss wasn't solely on CP3. There was dissension on the bench late in the game between Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton. Bridges and Ayton appeared to be in disagreement on the court as well. In the grand scheme of things, it's one loss to a bad team in December that hopefully will be forgotten. But with a visit from Memphis followed by a tough six-game road trip, it sure would have been nice to notch win number 20 against a bad team. The missed opportunity. Vinny's View brought to you by Revitalized Weight, Weight Loss and Wellness. Eat smart, lose weight, keep it off with Revitalized Proud Nutrition Partner of your Phoenix Suns. Yeah, it's good stuff, Vinny. It was a frustrating game uh-huh. um, because it looked like the Suns who had dabbled, you know, playing with their food, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. want to use that, the, mm-hmm. that terminology, had figured it out and then in the blink of an eye, just lost it. Yeah, I think you covered on all the relevant points from last night's game. The Chris Paul injury, he claims that he was more scared than anything, but Chris Paul never, never confesses to any injury. So I'm curious to see if there's anything that lingers or uh-huh. pops up from this point going forward. And then the uh, the lack of energy, like you pointed out, getting trapped up in a bad game against a bad team. Uh, this is this is the kind of game where, you know, Devin Booker would have come out and scored 25 in the first quarter and it would have been over before it started. Uh, the, uh, the blow up, the dust up at the end, I'm curious what you think about the meaning of that because uh, the position, the possession that, that triggered that DeAndre Ayton clearly uh, 
forgot or or didn't know to set a screen and the uh-huh. play bogged down and make Mikhail Bridges had to move the ball to Torrey Craig and then the the whole possession just got blown up and then after that it was Mikhail barking at him and Bradley Beal saw what was going on and started laughing uh-huh. and then Monty Williams getting in DA's face at the end. I don't know if if it, if it's a sign of trouble as much as it is the new way they are handling and treating DA this year, which is no more coddling. That if you that if you screw up like that, you're gonna hear about that it. plus. They had to be frustrated, even though they were shorthanded. And the injury list is just, it's, it's remarkable now to see more players on the injury list than on the active roster. They played nine players last night, and Dario Saric was still the only player that, 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 that didn't play. And if you can't play Dario Saric in a game like that where you got no bodies, I mean, yeah. I love Dario, but what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, what, they're not exactly building up any trade value for him. No, it's Anyway, very true. here's DeAndre Ayton after the game about that last play and how he felt about it. Honestly, it's deflating almost, you know, um, me uh, messing up the last play, you know, to really, like, you know, give us some momentum. And that's what really got everybody. Yeah, and he had a really good game, DeAndre Ayton, but at the biggest moment. And it shouldn't have come down to that moment, but it did. But it did. And he messed it up. He admitted to it. He talked about him being able to have tough conversations with Monty Williams. He gets pretty emotional and all that, but, you know, as I say, this is a family. Like, everybody really... You know, they know we know each other. We know each other's uh, personnel. Just, you know, everybody got to see us really like, you know, intensified in the moment where, you know, okay, then we lost our upper hand. You know, you can get a little emotional. Just, you know, oh, I thought you said this or you thought, but coach clarified it up in that in that huddle where we all was, you know, exchanging words and try to get back into play and try to, you know, try to win some basketball. I think you hit on a very important point: the Bridges on court exchange. There was. Was visible frustration from Mikel Bridges, the Monty Williams, uh, you know, conversation during the huddle that a lot of people that were in attendance and social media put that out mm-hmm. there, and it was heated. But I think you're right. It's hey, DeAndre, you're in year five, and, and you're you, making a and lot you're of making money, making a ton of money, yeah. and you just played a great game. What are you doing at what the most crucial moment? How did you not stay locked into what we needed you to do on that huge possession? Because that's where championships are won, like you know, mm-hmm. single possessions in the waning moments of basketball games. You have to win, and you have to be buttoned up, and 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 that was not the case. It was interesting to me that it was McHale that 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 flashed, showed him some smoke like that. As the kind of thing that Jay Crowder has done. In the past, um, and it, it, it got me thinking last night. To to, I wonder what how Jay Crowder reacted to that game seven last year, and whether that is sort of um, part of the reason why he's not Maybe. around. Uh, so uh, again, there was there was just a lot of uh, from the Chris Paul going down with the shoulder. There was just too much. That, this one of the funny things about this year, not funny, but there's there's been these moments that bring us right back to those peak points of trauma. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, the game again. The first half against Dallas to start the season. Fortunately, the Suns came back to win that game. The second game against Dallas. The, that game against the Pelicans. The weekend series against the Pelicans. I mean, um, there have just been these like moments. Chris Paul's struggle along the way. I just read the other day how Luka Doncic, according to the Athletic, I, I think he won Basketball Performance of the Year in twenty twenty two. Printed that out. It was a, a fascinating story. It was very hard to read because because it was because. 
because that whole thing is very hard to process still. Yeah, Zach Harper put that out there. NBA's best performance of 2022. Luka Doncic backs up his talk as Mavs stunned Suns. Right. So there's my point is is there's all this stuff that the Suns do have to redeem themselves for, and they're for most of the season they've been really good and it's been really promising. But every now and again, there's this little hiccup that kind of brings you right back to it. You know? Yes. And, you know, they're at this point in the season where it's past nagging injury stuff. Now now it's just frustrating because it seems anytime anybody gets on a roll, they get hurt. They end on the injury report. I mean, Devin Booker's coming off a 58-point game that snapped a, a, a cold streak for him, and then he misses two games with, with, with a groin strain. Um, Josh Akogi was opening eyes with his athleticism, his energy, his offensive rebounding, and his defense. He misses last night's game. Uh, Dwayne Washington was playing well. He missed a stretch. Now he was back, and he actually... You brought up the first game of the year um, against the Mavericks. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that stood out from that game was Monty Williams staying with the bench. You know what? The bench is doing a pretty good job here. I'm going to stay. I'm going to let them ride this out. Pay dividends because the biggest shot of the game was hit by Damian Lee. That's right. And last night there was such a a push to get Chris Paul back in the game. Chris Paul did not play down the stretch in that first game of the season. That's a great point. And um, again, I don't want to pin this all on Chris Paul. Outside of a stretch in the third quarter... He was not very good last night. Yeah, he took and, over and 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 helped them get back in the game because he had 11 points in the span of a few minutes. But he was scoreless at halftime. Gamble's been saying this for years about great players when they begin to lose it. What they lose is their consistent yes, greatness. Yeah, and and you'll you'll get a stretch, you'll get a game, but you won't get the consistent stuff. And and last night watching it, that that is what kind of flashed. I'm like, okay, this is this is exactly that. Because Chris Paul was coming off a very, very good performance when it looked like he had a lot of juice. Uh-huh. Um, he was very optimistic about playing back-to-backs because that was one of the topics. You know, are you going to sit this one out? Nope, that ain't me. Yeah. And then what you saw was what you saw. He looked like a 37-year-old playing 30-plus minutes uh, well, in a back-to-back. Like you said, it's like a car when you hit the gas vent and nothing is happening. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> Where's right. the pickup here? Uh-huh. Uh, and, cough, sputter, cough, cough. And as I brought up in Vinny's view, too, man, this stretch they're going into is not very forgiving. No. Especially if they're not at 100% health, which it doesn't look like they're going to be. It's good to see Cam Johnson out on the court before the game last night, warming up, moving Cam. around. Cam... Johnson? Johnson? It's been such a while. It's been a while since we've said that. This injury is really kind of... Get back soon, Cam. we can have our little stupid... Johnson. Yeah, let us get our jokes off, Cam. That's right. Come on. Uh, Johnson. Suns and Grizzlies Friday night, then it's a six in a row on the road. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, heading to State Farm Stadium on May 14th with the Strokes. Tickets are on sale now, but you can win a pair of tickets now by heading to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com. Coming up next, wasn't all bad news for the Suns yesterday. Some good news for the future. They've got a new owner, Matt Ishbia. We'll get into all of that next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on this Wednesday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. The realities of Michigan State changed my life. Tom Izzo, particularly, changed my life. And how do you pay people back to change your life? You, you, you show love and you give back. That's Matt Ishby of the new owner 
of the Phoenix Suns, a deal that has been finalized. Also, the Phoenix Mercury uh, deal has been finalized, subject to approval approval from the Board of Governors. Uh, pr- pretty quick-moving process, though, all things considered. Uh, the team has not been up for sale for quite some t- – for, for that long, Bic. And really, the public had only been apprised of, of one offer that was out there, a $3 mm-hmm. billion dollar offer by a deal that was being bankrolled by Peter Thiel and, and that group. And apparently there was some, some ruffled feathers by that group yesterday because they had no idea that Matt Ishbia had, was making a bid of $4 billion, right. another new record. seems like every time the Suns sell, it's for a record. Yes. And so I, as, as I texted you yesterday, I, Peter Thiel was part of a group. I was, I'm just wondering everything that went down, if this was an, if this was an, an act of the NBA handpicking who they wanted and then getting Getting the offer in front of Sarver that was so much he just had to take it because and and we don't do politics on this show but Peter Thiel and the NBA I don't think are a political mit, a mix I think you're correct Peter Thiel by the way Peter Thiel, Peel, Thiel. Okay. sorry yeah, okay. no it's Peter Thiel it doesn't matter shows but you how I, much we know about well yeah but no, you are you are very correct yeah. that that with political figures that he has funded yes he's he's more far right and it, it wouldn't vibe with the NBA's vibe basically certainly yeah. seems that yeah. way. yeah so so I think that that's probably what happened it's and and so it was just weird to me that Baxter Holmes dropped that secondary story that kind of brought back up the 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 workplace culture and the toxicity that might still remain and, and the victims who are wondering when accountability is going to um, uh, befall on those who are underneath Robert Sarver and then boom a day later the sale goes down mm-hmm. it's quite interesting the timing of it all hey uh, Monday night Devin Booker didn't play Devin Booker was on the bench wearing a Detroit Red Wings jersey slash hoodie which was awesome by the way I mentioned it yesterday in, in Vinny's view mm-hmm. did he know something that's the Michigan funny. connection. <laughs> oh my gosh! Matt, was he telling Matt us? Matt company is a is a helmet sponsor of the Detroit Red Wings. Wow! <laughs> wow! Did That's he know tremendous. something? It's possible. Or was he just possible. his home state? Well, and and so so I think that I think that this is good. I think that the NBA again, it, it's the NBA is is they they dealt with a Robert Sarver issue last year that kind of really that really tested this league and and when we've talked about this before, I'm 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 partially begrudgingly grateful to Robert Sarver for at least cashing in his hand when he did because everything I know about him, combative, competitive, confrontational, I'll I'll bet you his instincts were, I'm going to fight this to the end. I'm going to burn this whole thing down. There was a lot of people that had that fear. Mm -hmm. I might go, but I am not going now quietly. You're not doing this to me. You're not going to get away with this. But he did go out quietly. But he did. And and so so I'm I'm glad. I'm glad this happened. I'm glad it happened now because I do think that if there were – if there really were draft picks and assets on hold, meaning James Jones' hands have have been tied because you trade away draft picks – affect the value of of the negotiation mm-hmm. and the transaction it changes the numbers and you acquire salaries and it changes the valuations and it changes the sale and so i'm hoping that this has just happened now and now james jones can do some things he's been wanting to do hoping to do waiting to do i think that's a very important corollary to this because when this thing came up a week and a half ago about maybe james jones not being able to touch any of these draft picks 
I was like, uh-oh, this could be a game changer for this franchise. If this sale drags out through the playoffs and and our general manager isn't able to do anything with these assets, this is going to be problematic. And so I think one of the big takeaways is not just the end of of a dysfunctional ownership – and it's not just the beginning of what we hope is a brand new, beautiful era of basketball, well-funded basketball. Mm-hmm. But but in the short term, in the here and now, this might be what saves this season, what pushes this season over the top. It might. Um, that remains to be seen. Now, in that soundbite that we played, that was from Real Sports on HBO, a profile they did on Matt Ishbia back in late November, right before Thanksgiving. And it focused on... His time at Michigan State as a walk-on basketball player, all the things that Tom Izzo had instilled in him, and he talked there about giving back. And you want to talk about you know, um, you know, being overfunding or well-funded. Mm-hmm. Matt Ishbia gave a one-time gift thirty-two million dollars. Yeah, to the Michigan State yeah. athletic program. Yeah. That for the people I talked to yesterday, that word kept coming up. Generous. Yes, and that's a good word. Mm-hmm. People who are generous are. That's good. Bueno. Also, bueno. Um, another Michigan State graduate who works in the mortgage space, who <laughs> happens to be an NBA owner, Dan Gilbert. There's others that accuse both of them of just being in. I don't like the phrase, in a pissing contest with each other. Who can be more generous to their alma mater? Because Matt Ishbia gave $32 million. Uh, Dan Gilbert, as uh, I think Rocket Mortgage is the presenting Mm -hmm. sponsor of Michigan State basketball. Those two guys don't like each other, but the competitive nature, I think, is intriguing. Yeah, I think it's really intriguing. Um, and again, the thing that I the th- so the generous thing uh, I really really like, and I like the fact that the dude understands basketball to the point where yes. he walked on. He got a basketball education from one of the greats, Tom Izzo, and he was part of Mateen Cleaves' championship team at Michigan State. Um, which so so he's been in he's been part of a championship winning operation. That has to count for something. I think it counts for a lot. And one thing I was amazed, and this is trivial, but you know you know me. In three years as a walk-on, Matt Ishbia got on the court 48 times for Michigan State. Now, they were winning a lot of games. Mm-hmm. But that's an end-of-the-bench walk-on who's only getting in in blowout wins or blowout losses. He played more games than Marcus Bagley's played for ASU. He, he became... <laughs> right. Oh. oh. Okay. Whoa. Well, he's not lying. He, uh, no, he was one of those guys that he, he was like the, 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 the hood ornament to blowouts. That, he was the towel waver. That's it. That's, that's who every, he was. Yes. All those great college basketball teams, they always have that guy. Josh Passner. He was, yeah. he was oh. Michigan State's version of Josh Passner. That's what he was. <laughs> that's what he was. Yeah. Who happens to be worth more money than Michael Jordan at the moment. LeBron James. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Passner or Ishbia? <laughs> Not Josh Passner. I'm sure Passner's right there. He's doing okay. He's yeah. close. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, so the so the timing of it, the fact that this went down right after that Baxter Holmes report, uh-huh. the fact that the Suns clearly need some some freshness, some some additional players. This is like a great Christmas gift for for basketball fans in the Valley it really is. So I'm, I'm just hoping that Matt turns out to be everything we hope he is. And because there is no guarantee of that. No, there's not. And don't we have to remember, too, that stereotyping here? 
people who do get to a certain level of success and a certain level of riches do have to have a certain level of ruthlessness and kind of a hard yeah. edge to them. Yeah. So he seems like this fun character, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's a side to him that some no, won't love. I think that's fair. I really do. I, I, I think that's very fair uh, because, but as Vinny said, the stories of workplace culture are, are the polar opposite of what he's yes. coming into. Yeah. So that's good. But also, it, he's never owned a sports team before and he's been dying to own one. And so people who want it that bad, it, what do you want it for? Mm, is it yes. the investment? Is it the vanity by? play? What, what exactly? What is? You, what do you want your role in all of this to be? Yeah, yeah. and that's where some well, that's where some guys can get sideways. They, right? There was a quote from from the Real Sports um, profile that said, "It's not that hard in building something successful. You find the best people, you coach them." To your system, and you treat them so well, they never want to leave. I think that's a pretty good philosophy for any business to follow. Yeah, and it's worked for yeah. Matt Yeah. So and so so I like I said, I think every box you would hope he would check, he has checked, yeah. and that's and that's good. And I, if, I, if ruthlessness is one of the ingredients uh, to go along with big time wealth. Remember us when uh, remember us little people when you get there, Sarah. Ruthless. I've been saying they didn't listen to my bid of twelve dollars. <laughs> I'm right here. Coming up next, the ruthless Sarah Gazelle will take us through the Rush Hour reboot. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on this Wednesday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Rush Hour reboot. Rush Hour reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Morning, everybody. Welcome on into the Rush Hour Reboot here on Bickley and Murata Mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I am Sarah Cazell taking you through the biggest stories of the day with Dan Bickley. Hey. With Vince Murata. Toit like a tiger. <laughs> and with not Jarrett Carlin, he was fired, so we have Lauren oh. Koval. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. That's news to me. Hi, Lauren. Just kidding. He was not fired. He's going on vacation. Vinny, have you noticed how smooth the board has been running? I've morning. noticed it, and so have our <laughs> listeners. Already tweets out there. We are getting a lot of tweets. Are we? Bick, uh, this is from uh, Lauren, um, a different Lauren. The Bickley Murata Show just started, and it already sounds well produced and streamlined <laughs> with Jared Carlin on vacation. <laughs> I love that. A, a quote unquote different Lauren. Yeah, yeah that's nice my try, burner. Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that show sounds amazing. Twelve seconds in. Well, it does. You're doing a great job. All right, let's get you into the top stories of the day. Starting with the Phoenix Suns, they lost a close one last night at home to the Washington Wizards 113-110 as I just mentioned in my update um, they were up comfortably a 10 point lead with about 5 minutes left but uh, let the Wizards go on a 17-2 run in that last stretch we also saw Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton going back and forth with each other a little bit a pretty spirited exchange with 44 seconds left in the game and the Suns down 7 here is what Monty said about that moment after the game no it was the whole team in those moments wasn't just DeAndre Andre was the whole group out there not executing properly, and it was a bit of frustration. But that that happens. That was not an isolated one person or one player thing. All right, so this isn't about DeAndre Ayton. Here's what DA said about the moment. It was pretty emotional and all that, but you know, as I say, this is a family. Like everybody really 
you know, they know we know each other, we know each other's uh, personnel. It's just, you know, everybody got to see us really, like, you know, intensified in the moment where, you know, okay, damn, we lost our upper hand. You know, you can get a little emotional. Just, you know, oh, I thought you said this or you thought, but coach clarified it up in that in the huddle where we all was, you know, exchanging words and try to get back into play and try to, you know, try to win some basketball. Okay, specifically because they've had issues with each other before, the way that last season ended, the kind of, you know, off-season stuff, and then DeAndre Ayton saying on media day, oh, we haven't talked at all this off-season. What did you guys think about that moment? Did it hit you at all, concern you at all? A, a little bit. Um, a couple things about it. I thought DA otherwise played a very good game. But, yeah. But but to, to have a, those kind of mental errors in an endgame situation, those are they could be very, very costly, and I think it was a recognition that the Suns, as you pointed out, Vinny, they kind of needed to get this win in their back pocket with what's right in front of them. Yes, I just think this is reflective more of the of the tone that Monty Williams took at the very first day of, of training camp, and in that it's it's no longer kid gloves with Da. It's no longer okay. Let's just let's take it slow with them. It takes longer for bigs to develop. Their patience is run out, and it should. He's been a pro long enough, and so it was just a mental error. But it's the kind of moment that you can't have. Them. You got to function at an elite level in those moments to win games. So that's what I think it was. Yeah, I wonder if they're not talking again. No, I'm just <laughs> joking. Um, I, I think they've moved past the weirdness of the offseason and the, and the media day thing, but these things are going to pop up. Mm-hmm. And I think Monty Williams was right on the money. It wasn't necessarily all... That was an, uh, an amalgamation, if, of you, if you will, of, of frustration because they had... They had played so poorly and come back and built a 10-point lead. That's a game you win going away. Yes. And nobody performed well down the stretch. The offense was spotty. They were throwing the ball all over the place. They didn't score for four minutes, which is an absolute eternity in an NBA game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's something. It's. I don't think it's a huge thing. I think it's something to build on. We'll see where it goes from here. Okay. Because um, they're in for some 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 bumpy roads ahead. Exactly. Bick, as you mentioned, uh, with with what lies ahead. They've got the Memphis Grizzlies on Friday. They've mm-hmm. got the Denver Nuggets on Christmas Day on Sunday. And then, oh, fun, they get the Grizzlies again on Tuesday and, before and the Nuggets, Wizards. And the Nuggets have now moved to the number one spot in the Western Conference, which is, it's been a revolving door at yes. the top early. I'm curious how long the Nuggets are going to roll with, run with this. Did you see Jokic's stat line from last night? Every, mm-hmm. every night it's a weird stat line. Mm-hmm. Last night, 13 points, 13 rebounds, 13 assists. Goodness gracious. Those people with trick, trichodectophobia or whatever it's yeah. called. <laughs> right, right. Freaking out right, right now. All right, we just talked about Matt Ishbia in our last segment. But these are the top stories of the day, so we're going to bring absolutely. back. Absolutely. HBO Real Sports profiled the new Suns and Mercury owner uh, just last month, actually, talking about his basketball career at Michigan State and just how big of a booster he has been for them. Ishbia told HBO that his frame of mind as a walk-on in college still lives within him as a CEO. Today. I was the 17th player. They kept 17 players that year. And I was the luckiest guy to be on that team. You would not have made the team if it had 16 players on it. That's right. I had to be the hardest working guy to be the worst player on that team. Do you still have a little walk-on in you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's who I am. From a walk-on to a billionaire. We love it. Mm-hmm. It's a movie. Okay. Workplace culture issues aside that will follow Robert Sarver out the door. 
how would you like to see Matt Ishbia run the Suns and the Mercury compared to how Robert Sarver did? I would like him to be. I, I, I'd like him to be involved and enthusiastic and very generous, like Steve Ballmer is with the Clippers. Um, I just hope that his basketball sensibilities already like lead him to know what the boundaries must be mm. and 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 how a little can go a long way from the guy at the very top. You don't want to be around no functioning entity wants the boss around all the time. It makes people uncomfortable. It doesn't matter who you are or what business you're talking about. So with a sports team, I hope he recognizes that there's a really good thing in place in terms of uh, the structure and is content to kind of just let this thing breathe a little bit. Mm -hmm. See, I can't... I I know you prefaced um, the question by pointing out workplace culture, but I can't move past that. Um, to me, that's the, the biggest thing to improve on if you're you're mad Ishbia, but I think the hope, what, what I was getting at is, oh, there better not be issues of right. misogyny, I, I, of racism, right, of right. bullying, that sort of thing. Right. That needs to be assumed as he okay. comes in. But like Vic said, too, lean on the basketball experience. Um, can he be as generous as Steve Ballmer? No, the difference in, in net worth and net wealth is, yeah, is, is vast. Um, but I think this guy gets it. That's my first impression of him. Yeah, he sure is, seems. Is that he gets it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's quickly get to the Arizona Cardinals. We've got John Wilner coming on next to talk about the Pac-12 and potential streaming media rights deals. Uh, that'll be at 745. Um, Colt McCoy, day-to-day, says Cliff Kingsbury. That was on Monday when we got the latest update on the Cardinals' backup quarterback. Uh I think we're all assuming that Trace McSorley is going to start on Sunday against Tampa Bay. Is that true for you guys? I believe that, yeah. I think that should be the case. Yes. Do you think Trace McSorley should start the rest of the way, or do you still want to see Colt McCoy back at some point this season? Yeah, I think it should be McSorley's show. Uh, You know, Colt McCoy has sacrificed his body to the Arizona Cardinals in 2022 with very little reward for it. Yeah. And, and now the latest thing is a concussion. The guy's 36 years old. He's taken a, a, a world of punishment this year. What are you playing for? See, see what you have in McSorley. Yeah, and and Trace McSorley against Todd Bowles in a Buccaneers defense that can be incredibly yes. stifling. Yeah. This might not be pretty Sunday night. It might not be. Would it have been at all? No, probably if, if not. Colt McCoy were fully healthy, he he might be able to keep it close in a game like that. But I, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know, man. Not a gift on Christmas no, Day. No, no. A lump of coal oh. potentially in the stocking on Christmas Day. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Thank we're you. all rebooted. Rush hour reboot every morning at seven thirty. As Sarah said, uh, well, the Sun Devils have a new football coach, and the Pac-12 soon will have a new media rights deal. We'll talk about all of it next with John Wilner, Pac-12 Hotline from San Jose Mercury News. That's straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Bickley and Murata mornings rolls on in this Wednesday live from the Auction Community Studios. Lots to talk about in terms of uh, Pac-12 football and who better to talk about it with than uh, the author of the Pac-12 Hotline from San Jose Mercury News. John Wilner, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. John, happy holidays. Good morning. How are you? Yes, same to you guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, we want to get into the, the Pac-12 uh, media rights deal that's that's brewing. But before we get into that, 
Um, a new era for Arizona State football. Kenny Dillingham has made quite a splash as a 32-year head coach early on, just in recruiting, in energy, which I, I think is exactly what this program needed after the failed Herm Edwards experiment. I mean, from your vantage point, John, how do you view what you've seen from, from Kenny Dillingham and the change in this program already? Well, I mean, I agree with you about the failed experiment, right? And it seems like ASU learned its lesson uh, and that actually having a working understanding of how college football operates is a good thing. Um, You know, I think if you're an Arizona State fan, it's probably gone as well as you could have scripted Mm -hmm. uh, for the first, I don't know, what's it been, a month, you know, in terms of what ASU is doing with the staff, which is just so important for, uh, especially for our rookie head coach, right? He's, I think he's done very well. I've been impressed that he is willing to hire veteran coaches, guys who know more than he does. You know, that is a critical thing, and you don't always see that with with young coaches. They don't want to surround themselves with people who know more because they feel threatened, and that doesn't seem to be the case with Dillingham. So, to me, that's a, a pretty encouraging sign for ASU, and, you know, we'll see how the personnel stuff goes, right? I mean, it's with the transfer portal and now early signing, it's hard to know exactly what the roster is going to look like. There's more transfer. There's another transfer portal open in the spring. So yeah. we're kind of, you know, it's a, a little bit of a wait and see, but certainly uh, anything they can do to shore up the quarterback position is is going to be a big help. What do you think uh, the, of the composition of the conference going forward is going to look like now that UCLA has been granted uh, permission to leave and join the Big Ten along with USC? How much more movement do you anticipate? How tenuous is this conference from top to bottom, in your opinion? You know, I think it's probably uh, there's no guarantees with realignment. You never know who is lying to your face if you're the <laughs> Pac-12 conference right. office, right? Right. I mean, you know, you say to USC, are, are you committed? Yes, yes, yes. And then SC's leaving. So uh, it's hard to know exactly, but it, it, the most likely outcome is that these 10 schools are going to stick together. And I would guess that they add uh, one or two more. They could just go with one. If you don't have football divisions, you don't have to have an even number of teams. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, probably end up with 12, uh, including San Diego State and then somebody else. Uh, we'll, we should know, I don't know, probably by February we'll have a pretty good idea. John Wilner, our guest uh, from the Pac-12 Hotline here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Uh, Bick mentioned it, UCLA, is, uh, they're on their way out. It's official, and I know George Klyovkov as the commissioner of the Pac-12 was waiting on that resolution before really going down the road of the media rights deal facing the conference for the future. They're kind of the last ones at the table. I know there's comparisons to what the Big 12 got in its new media rights deal, but I'm hearing the rumors, I'm reading the articles about what the Pac-12 might do in terms of being revolutionary, uh, and that could be a 100% streaming deal for media rights, which would mean a lot of money for the schools, but I think less eyeballs. And, and quite honestly, as a fan of the Pac-12, John, I'm, I'm concerned about that path if they go down it. Your thoughts on, on where that stands right now? Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be 100% streaming. Okay. Uh, I would That would surprise me uh significantly. Uh, I think there's going to be some portion of their football contract that is going to allow for games on, uh, you know, pay cable and, and over the air. They can't just kind of sequester themselves only on streaming right now. I don't know if that means 
they're dealing with Fox or ESPN or CBS or whoever, but th- there's going to be, you know, broad access to s- at least some of their games, I, I would think. Uh We'll see how it goes, right? I mean, Amazon certainly is, uh, I think, going to be a big factor in how this thing unfolds. And, and the bottom line is the Pac-12, the the culture and the life uh, on the West Coast is much more, uh, you know, Amazon and Apple are so deeply rooted in our existence on the West Coast in the Pac-12 footprint that I think that that has an effect on Pac-12 presidents, right? That it's different than in the Big 12, right? They're, right. they're just a yes. part of the – those companies are part of the culture, and dealing with them and being involved with them in a media deal has has a deeper meaning, I think, on these campuses uh, and the potential for future uh, endeavors with those companies is more of a priority for the presidents than it would be if you're in the Big 12 or the ACC or somewhere else. Uh, that, those are great points. All right, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. Um, clearly, whatever that media rights deal looks like, I think it's safe to assume the Pac-12, the, the membership school cut is going to be significantly less than the rival Power 5 conferences and that's just a reality. Does the expanded college football playoff in 2024 mitigate that, John? In other words, does a guaranteed playoff berth to the Pac-12 sort of negate the the damage done by having such revenue disparity in the Power Five? Uh, I think it does. I think what we're going to see is that the SEC and the Big Ten are on a next level, and then the the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC are pretty close, right? I mean, the Big 12 is going to be getting $31 million basically per school. And I don't know, Pac-12 could be 30 could be 35 But at that point, right, that's all money on the margins. I mean, if you're talking about a $30 million per year difference, that's one thing. But... One million, five million. That's not going to make a difference in terms of the the, the competitive uh, advantages or disadvantages for for these schools. So, I think that you know the the reason the presidents the the, the commissioner spent how many years unable to get a to get resolution on an expanded playoff, and then you saw the president step in very quietly uh, over the summer and in the fall. And basically say, all right, the commissioners couldn't get this done. We're going to get it done. We're going to expand the playoff. Part of the reason they wanted to do it the way they did is because it gives viability to the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big 12. Right. And makes their seasons more important because there's an automatic bid waiting at the end. It makes their seasons and their conference championship games much more valuable in the media rights space uh-huh. because you're, it's a, basically a play-in game for the playoff. So really i think that has helped settle this whole you know expansion uh wave that was rippling across the country because those three conferences now have access to the playoff John Wilder, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. Before we let you go, going back to a, a topic that you brought up earlier, uh, Bick asked you about earlier, John, and that is uh, what does membership look like? Uh, and you kind of, it, it, 12 makes sense, I get it, and you brought that up, but uh, if it's 12, uh, who are the two favorites to be added? Uh, is it San Diego State and someone else? Are we missing somebody? What are your thoughts on that? If I were guessing, um, yeah, I would say San Diego State and uh, SMU. Uh, I think the conference is interested in expanding its footprint and in getting carving out a little bit of space in the Dallas media market and also in ha- having a campus 
in what is a very important recruiting area for the conference. Plus, SMU SMU just institutionally fits pretty well in the, in the Pac-12. It's kind of liberal. Uh, it's private, but it's got a huge endowment, and that matters to Pac-12 presidents. It's a tier two research university, which matters to the Pac-12 presidents. So I think, and, and you know, SMU couldn't get into the Big 12 because TCU and, and Baylor didn't want them in there yeah. for competitive reasons. Uh, so I think that that would be a way for the conference to expand its footprint to me. SMU makes more sense as the 12th than Fresno or UNLV or Boise. Yeah, I would agree with you there. John, great stuff as always. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, John Wilner. Pac-12 Hotline from the Mercury News. He joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Solid. Bickley and Murata guy, John Wilner. What is up? West Coast guy. Talking what is up? 12 football. <laughs> Conference footprint. I don't know why. <laughs> no, it's, listen, but, that, but that's, that's all very, very true. And I, I think that is the, that's the element of hope that's attached to all of this. That, that if the Pac-12 gets an automatic berth into the college football playoff, who cares that USC is gone? Good riddance. Yeah. Have fun collecting those Heisman trophies and nothing else, USC. <laughs> Coming up next, Bix got the blast. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.